The 2011 cost of a data breach study is out from the Ponemon Institute. What lessons can we learn from the latest study? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Dr. Larry Poneman. Larry, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Tom. Larry, this study is in its seventh year, is that correct? That's correct. This is the seventh year uh, in the United States, and we've also conducted a comparable study in, uh, in other countries, in fact, eight countries in total this year. Larry, the news everybody's talking about this year is the actual cost of a data breach decreasing. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Well, sure. Um, since we started the study seven years ago in the United States, we saw an increase in data breach costs. And it was, you know, small, sometimes not a significant increase, but a steady increase, both in the total average cost of a data breach and the per capita cost, which is really a cost on a per compromised record basis. So this year, we were surprised. I, per, I'm, I was personally stunned to see that the average cost as well as the per capita cost decreased substantially. So let me give you some numbers. In 2010, our previous study, the total average cost of a data breach was approximately 7.5, excuse me, $7.2 million, and that decreased to $5.5 million this year. So it's still a significant amount. $5.5 million is not chump change, but that represents a 24% decrease. On per capita cost side, it went from $214 per record to $194 per, per record, which is a little over a 10% decrease or a $20 decrease. So it was very surprising to us that costs decreased, given that people still care deeply about their privacy and they really don't like getting a notification that their data has been stolen or lost. Larry, to what do you attribute the decrease in the cost per breach? Well, um, we, we believe we know the root cause of that decrease. Um, we think it's people in general are maybe becoming numb to the data breach notification process. Most people have received at least one data breach notice. They may not even be aware of it because they don't open their mail. They may see it as junk mail. But the moral of the story is people do care about privacy. They expect organizations to protect their data. But the fact that so many data breaches occur, it seems like on a daily basis, that people are, as I said before, numb by the whole thing. So they become indifferent and maybe complacent, which is dangerous because people should care when an organization loses their data and they should be proactive in managing the potential consequences or risk like identity theft that can occur as a result of data loss. Now, Larry, it probably should be pointed out there are certain types of breaches that aren't included in this report, just so you know that it wouldn't skew the numbers. Can you clarify that a little bit? Sure, Tom, and that's a good question, and I appreciate your ask that you ask that. Um, each year, we focus on data that requires notification to regulators and to reach victims. So we're really looking at data like customer information, employee information, information that identifies the natural person. But obviously, there are many other types of data breaches. Data breaches of intellectual property, for example, would not be included in our study. And obviously, that could be very, very costly. My gut feel that my gut tells me that that number is probably much more substantial than the cost of a data breach resulting from customer or employee data being stolen. So, you know, we focus on one type of data breach, the type of data breach that 
requires notification in the United States and in other parts of the world. But in reality, there are other maybe more costly data breaches that, that companies are experiencing every day. So in other words, someone might look back on 2011 and say, wow, we had RSA, we had Sony, we had Epsilon, but those are not the types of breaches that would be included in your study. Exactly. If an organization steals data about a customer or about an employee, a fair game, we'll study it. If an organization is stealing the uh, source code of a company or the architectural rendering or product plans or or board of director minutes, uh, this information is very, very valuable to bad guys, but that's not part of our study. Now, I would tell you that we are starting to look at this issue and will most likely start to study a broader class of data breach over time. So, Larry, beyond the cost reduction, what do you see as the major headlines from this year's study? Well, obviously, the cost reduction issue is important, but again, again, I don't think we should start celebrating to say, yay, the the costs are relevant. The costs are still pretty significant for most companies. I also think that a, a, a theme of this year's study from a root cause perspective is it seems as if malicious or criminal attacks are on the rise in which case organizations will actually experience a cost increase. Remember, last year's average cost of data breach was $214. This year, is, um, uh, this year it's $194. But if an organization experienced a malicious or criminal attack, it was actually $220 per compromised record on average. So we shouldn't be celebrating because malicious and criminal attacks can actually be a much more serious type of data breach that can be much more costly to organizations. Um, so I definitely think that's another major finding of our study this year. And we also find that organizations can do something about cost. So, for example, if an organization has a chief information security officer, they have good governance and control practices in place, they're using enabling technologies like data loss prevention tools or encryption or tokenization, um, organizations can actually substantially reduce both the probability of a data breach and the cost of a data breach. So there is actually a happy message uh, in these numbers as well. Larry, when you take a step back from the report, what type of conclusions should we be drawing from this annual study of the cost of a breach? Well, the, the main issue is that an organization can do something about the cost of a data breach, but it's impossible to stop all data breaches. Even the best organizations, organizations with the best controls and the best technologies, will very likely experience data loss of some kind or data theft of some kind over the course of a year or several years. So the second best thing that we can do, given that it's a reality that data loss happens, is to make make sure that you're prepared, have an identity, excuse me, have an incident response plan, have identity protection services, make those available to consumers and customers. Um, just basically be prepared for it. As I mentioned a couple of seconds ago, technologies like DLP and encryption and others are very important, but full story requires organizations to have good control and governance practices in place. And in general, you need a leader. That's why we find that organizations that have a chief information security officer with overall responsibility for data loss or data theft, those organizations tend to actually incur a lower cost on average. So even though the, there's a big salary that we pay to CISO, you know, it more than pays for the salary. Um, but in, that there are things that organization 
organizations can do to reduce that cost. You've had the opportunity to really study these breaches in some detail. Having looked at these incidents, what are some of the lessons that we should be learning from the breaches that we've experienced? Well, one important lesson is that uh, organizations need to be mindful that um, you know the problem may not be their IT organization, but it could be a third party, an organization that you entrust your data to, thinking that that organization has comparable security and data protection practices and policies in place. Um, unfortunately, a lot of organizations are too trusting of their third parties. And now with the growth of cloud computing, we have to be really, really careful when we make a decision to work with a third party that would have access to our crown jewel information, our most sensitive or uh, confidential information. So we see a lot of organizations making the mistake that if they have a legal contract, and they review maybe a, some evidence that the organization had an audit, like a SAS 70 or complied with ISO, that it's, our job is done, everything's okay. But we find that a lot of data breaches really result from an insecure third party. You mentioned before Epsilon. Epsilon is a email marketing organization, and basically they had a problem, but it affected their business customers because business customers assume that Epsilon had you know, there's security nailed down. So the moral of the story is organizations need to be vigilant. Data loss uh, happens all the time. And as I mentioned before, it's not just data about people or households or customers or employees. It could be your crown jewel data, your trade secrets, the things that, you know, organizations spend a lot of money protecting. You need to keep your eye on the ball. I think that's the moral of the story. Now, you talked about the third-party vulnerabilities within organizations. What emerged as their top vulnerabilities in-house? Well, from an in-house perspective, we know that, um, you know, we think about the criminal being like a hacker somewhere in China or maybe in Central Europe or Russian Federation, and it does happen. You know, bad guys do try to steal data from remote locations, but there's also the dangerous or malicious insider. And we find in our study, and not just this year, but over seven years, that the insider problem can be a big problem. And organizations um, need to be vigilant. They need to look at what people do. They need to have tools that help them understand uh, when a person is off the reg- reservation, so to speak, and they're operating outside of their space. They need to nail down the way they, they issue privileges to people. Um, so in general, that insider problem is still a very significant vulnerability that organizations have not managed effectively as yet. Um, another issue on the technical side, applications, and now we're, we see mobile applications and web-based applications and cloud applications, you know, we have kind of a mess out there. And a lot of these applications that we assume are okay because they're used widely, we wrongfully reach the conclusion that they're safe and they may not be. So I think this whole area of application security, you know, needs to be a much higher priority uh, in, a, in the list of security steps that organizations take. We've done other studies as well to show that a lot of the security spending and effort is on the network side, and very, very little of the of, of the spending is on the application side. So again, organizations need to be vigilant if they're using commercial applications. Uh, and especially in the kind of the mobile universe, uh, we need to be careful and 
not do not assume that everything is safe simply because it's used widely and used by other organizations. Larry, you talked about some of the technology solutions. What jumps out as you as some of the most effective solutions that organizations are doing to prevent or detect breaches? Well, let's look at that whole issue of privilege that I mentioned a second ago. Organizations are starting to use security intelligence systems. It includes things like SIM and network intelligence and even traffic intelligence. And these, these tools help an organization achieve a higher level of transparency basically helps them to understand patterns that basically you want to investigate because they're regular, they're, they're rare events. It helps you to have a much lower false positive rate. So when you're spending your time investigating what may be a potential breach or an issue, you have the ability to kind of get at that issue much faster. Um, so network intelligence, traffic intelligence, and security intelligence tools like SIM become very, very helpful organizations. Now, on the other side, in managing your data protection responsibilities, it's, it's almost hard to do it manually, especially for an organization of any size, like more than 100 employees. So I strongly recommend organizations consider using DLP, data loss prevention tools, the inverse of a firewall. A firewall prevents bad guys from getting in. So what you're trying to do is protect the organization from wrongful leakage of information in the form of documents that are attached to emails or, you know, USB memory sticks being used incorrectly. The moral of the story is there are tools that will help identify when there's an irregular outflow or something that looks suspicious. And with these tools, an organization can be much better, much faster at identifying a data breach. It's not just about preventing the data breach, which is a good thing to do, but it's also about quick detection and, and fast remediation. So DLP becomes helpful. And finally, I am a big fan of encryption. So you have end-to-end encryption, you have encryption of data at rest, you have encryption of data in motion, you have email encryption. There are lots and lots of tools available to basically secure confidential and sensitive information. There are other crypto tools that also may be helpful, like tokenization. And also there are new tools that are developed, like dynamic data masking, wasn't around a few years ago, but this technology allows you to pr- protect information in not only the development mode, but also in production. So in total, organizations have tools. They're, they may be expensive in the short term, but if you look at the total cost to 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 manage your uh, data protection responsibilities, I think that it, it more than these tools more than pay for themselves. So definitely organizations need to focus on these. Larry, we haven't talked about different industrial sectors. Are there industries that you're finding are more prone to breaches now? And over the course of the seven years, do you find that some of these industries are are learning and applying lessons? Well, good good question, Tom. Um, Basically, there are industry differences. Now, each year we do our benchmark study. One of the problems with with our benchmarking process because it's so rigorous and it's so detailed at each organization, we tend to have small sample sizes. You know, you do a survey, you have a 1,000 people, you can cut and divide the organization by industry very easily. But when you have a sample, even a good benchmarking sample of, you know, 45 or 50 organizations, it's hard in a given year to look at an industry effect. But we've done hundreds of data breach studies over seven years, not only in the United States but around the globe. And now we have critical mass by industry. And it seems financial services have the most expensive data breaches. And I think the reason 
is when a financial service company like your bank or your insurance company or your brokerage company, when a financial service company loses your information, you are really disappointed. You basically set very high expectations for certain industries that are trusted like financial services. So, you know, basically when an organization has a data breach, uh, like a financial service company, you are more likely to churn or you're more likely to disengage. And remember, when I say churn, not in, it's not in every case that an individual decides to leave. But in financial services, what we see people doing is they'll find another comparable financial service company, and over time they'll start shifting their resources, their their money, their investments, even their home mortgage to the other organization. So, again, it is an expensive proposition for financial service companies. Healthcare as well are usually above the mean. And below the mean, interestingly enough, are retail organizations. And what's weird about that finding, you know, retailers have your credit card information. So some of the same information that you would value if a bank lost it, you may not have the same perception if a major retail lost that information. It's still expensive, but it seems to be much less expensive for organizations in retail. And finally, public sector organizations government organizations experience a lower cost simply because they're monopolies. So if a bank loses your information, you find another bank. But if you're the Veterans Administration and you lose someone's information, the veterans' information, you don't have another Veterans Administration to go to. A follow-up on healthcare, if I may. We've seen the U.S. government put a lot of emphasis on breach prevention in healthcare, and of course, healthcare organizations are being more vigilant now to detect and prevent. Do you see this emphasis showing up in your study at all? Any fruits of the, well, of the labor? Yeah, in, in our study, we find that healthcare organizations are still experiencing a fairly high rate of data breach. And when a healthcare organization suffers a data breach and it's a patient record, it could be much, much more damaging, obviously, to the individual because not only are they subject to uh, normal um, identity theft crimes, but they're also subject to medical identity theft, which in other Kahneman studies, we show that it's a much more expensive proposition for the average consumer. So clearly, um, healthcare organizations are you know, subject to rigorous <laughs> Rules and for and for many years, like HIPAA, with high tech, you know now these rules apply broadly to business associates and other organizations that acquire and use um, patient health information. Um, all of this is a good thing for healthcare, but the evidence suggests that healthcare organizations still have a long way to go. Larry, we've talked about a lot. We've talked about application security, about third-party vulnerabilities, mobility. What are the breach trends that concern you the most? Well, probably the number one trend, and it does concern me quite a bit, is um, that the bad guys, the cyber criminals, are getting smarter and stealthier. And even with these wonderful tools like network intelligence or security intelligence tools that we discussed a couple of seconds ago, um, it's really hard sometimes to see the criminal activity until it's too late, until your information is stolen, it's lost. And the type of information that's being targeted is not the large databases. It's not, you know, everyone's credit card number. I mean, that's still a major target, but it's also that other type of information. I call it that intellectual property data. The bad guys are becoming much more surgical, and they're becoming much more efficient at stealing information. 
And my concern is that most organizations would not have the ability, the wherewithal, to detect it because they don't have the tools or they don't have the infrastructure. So that really is a big problem. And that's why I mentioned before that the focus of this research is on data about people, so customer, employee, but the data that involves you know, economic espionage, um, intellectual property, may be a much, more, much, much more significant problem for organizations. And again, you've talked about application security, DLP, encryption, network intelligence. What are the technology solutions that do encourage you the most in preventing breaches? Well, I, I definitely feel um, DLP and the, the widespread use of encryption, not just as a point solution, but using it strategically, are really positive trends. But we also see organizations that are moving to the cloud. So we're seeing cloud security technologies that give um, a little bit more control to the cloud user. So I think that's a positive sign. I also think that cloud providers, you know, one day I think we're starting to wake up to the reality that cloud may not be safe. So cloud providers are stepping up their security efforts. And perhaps over the next couple of years, the cloud will be even a better place, a much, much more safe environment. Uh, for data protection. So these are encouraging signs. On the negative side, obviously, um, we have disruptive technologies, mobile technologies. People are using Facebook and they're using, you know, social media in the workplace. And all of these issues, it may seem extraneous, but they actually increase the, um, the security risk and reduce the security posture of organizations. So again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm upbeat on enabling technologies but I still think we have a long way to go. And then keep in mind that it's like a game of chess. You know, we take one step and the bad guy, they, they move, you know, their pawn or their queen, you know, in a, in a direction that, so it's, it's not something we can ever, you know, develop, um, you know, a solution that is perfect or even near perfect, you know, given that we're dealing with a stochastic process when we deal with cyber criminals and people who really thrive and you know, make a living stealing information. Larry, thanks so much for taking time to talk about the cost of a data breach with me today. Thank you very much, Tom. It's always a pleasure. We've been talking about the 2011 cost of a data breach. I've been talking with Dr. Larry Poneman of the Poneman Institute. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.